Good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's awesome to have you with us today. I want to say hello to those of you joining us on our online campus. Thanks for participating through that venue. And those of you in our parent viewing rooms, that's a great option if you have small children that you prefer to keep with you during the service. Also, anybody watching on our cafe, uh, thanks for joining us there. And uh, we, before we jump into the talk this morning, I just want to remind you about something called the Church Center app. Perhaps you've heard of it. It is something that we use a lot. And uh, here's the thing. We have introduced over the last couple of weeks a personal dashboard into this uh, Church Center app. So here's how it works. The more that you use the dashboard, the more personalized it becomes to you. And so this will help you to find uh, not only uh, great events that are coming up, uh, things like water baptism, uh, things like gather, all these things are in your your dashboard. uh, And you'll be able to see all of those events that are coming up. It's also a great way to find groups that are tailored to you and your season of life as well as next uh, spiritual steps of growth. And so uh, I just want to encourage you, keep leaning into that Church Center app, uh, keep going to your dashboard, all of those things, and it will help you as you continue to use it. It will continue to be more and more personalized the more that you use it. So it's kind of a great tool, and uh, we'd love for you to keep diving into that. Now, uh, we're in week three of a series called Famous Last Words. Famous Last Words is all about the things that Jesus said to his disciples at what has come to be known as the Last Supper. It's called that because uh, it was the last time that Jesus had supper with his disciples before he was arrested and ultimately uh, put to death. And so these are the things that Jesus really wanted his disciples to know. And so last week, or we started this series a couple of weeks ago talking about the first thing Jesus did Uh, in John chapter 13. John is recording this for us, and it says that Jesus took a towel and he washed the feet of his disciples, which would have been something that was reserved for the lowest servant. And yet Jesus didn't delegate that to anybody else. Instead, he determined, I'm going to do this. And then he specifically says, I did this to set an example for you, which means that for followers of Jesus, anywhere that we go, uh, when we're tempted to elevate ourselves, Jesus says, no, the example is that you're to lower yourself. You're to treat other people as I've treated you. And I want you to serve other people that you wouldn't be tempted to elevate yourself, but to serve others. And then last week, we looked at this brand new command that Jesus gave, which wasn't a new command in terms of content. It was a new command in terms of context that Jesus said, listen, as I have loved you, you are to love each other. So the idea that you could have a good vertical relationship with God is only authenticated if you have horizontal love for other people, that no longer could you just go, me and God are good, but I can treat people however I want to. There's a new command, Jesus says, and it's you are to love others as I have loved you. And the idea behind that is not you're to love others because they deserve it. You're not to love others to the extent or to the degree that they love you. You are to love others based on how I have loved you. And then whatever I have given you, whatever grace and mercy and love you have received from me, you are to give that to other people. It has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with what you have received from me. It's a brand new context. And so here we are, we're continuing this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. So he's washed their feet. He's given them this new command. And now we pick up where we left off and he's continuing to share with them. And he begins to have a conversation with them about eternity. And this has always been something that for followers of Jesus, not just for followers of Jesus, but just as human beings, we have always been fascinated with eternity, fascinated with what comes after this life, what comes next. And so Jesus begins to talk to them about this. And here's what he says. John is recording this for us. He says, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. 
He, he knows what's about to happen. He knows he's going to be arrested. He's going to be put to death. As I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. And Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. And they're kind of wondering about this. It's a little bit mysterious. And, and Peter goes, well, where are you going, Jesus? And he says, well, I'm, I'm going somewhere. Where I'm going, you can't come with me now. You're going to join me later. And it feels kind of mysterious. And this is where, for most of us, as just as human beings and as people, and most of us kind of get tripped up because this is where, particularly as people who live in the United States of America in the 21st century, we kind of buy into this belief, this common belief that there is something that comes after and that we are definitely going there. There's definitely something after this life. We don't totally know what that is. Uh, if you're exploring faith in Jesus, if you're kind of like, I'm trying to figure that out, we don't totally know, but we know there's something and we believe we're going there. And there's a lot of mystery and a lot of questions, but there's a general sense there's something after this life. We refer to it as heaven. And there's an assumption that we're going to go there and it's all going to work out in the end. But in the meantime, I got kids to raise. I got a job I got to go to. I got sports to take kids to. I got to plan my retirement. I got a lot going on, but I'm confident there's something good and I'm going there. So really, there are a couple of assumptions that fuel this kind of thinking. Uh, there's two big assumptions, particularly that a, a lot of Americans make, and it's this. Good people go to heaven, right? Good people go to heaven. That makes sense. Uh, there's heaven. It's good. Good people go there. And I'm a good person. Good people go to heaven, and I'm a good person. So I'm going. That's a very, very common way of thinking. In the United States of America, in the 21st century, a very common way for people to think is, I don't totally know where it is. I don't totally know what it all means. I think it's a good place, and I'm pretty sure I'm going there. I got to live my life in the meantime. And if there's a good heaven, then it makes sense that good people will go there. It's a philosophy that's foundational for a lot of people. That's why a lot of people embrace the idea that it doesn't really matter which religion you follow. As long as you're a good person, you're going to go to heaven. So good Christians go to heaven. And uh, good Jewish people go to heaven. And good Lutherans go to heaven. And good Catholics go to heaven. And good Methodists go to heaven. And good Presbyterians go to heaven. And good Buddhists go to heaven. And good Muslims go to heaven. And good Mormons go to heaven. And it doesn't really matter so much the belief system. As long as you are a good person, you're going to get there. And the common denominator in all of this isn't any particular philosophy or belief system. It's whether or not someone is good. Which is why even if you were to ask somebody who is a follower of Jesus, hey, how do you know that you're going to maybe go to heaven when you die someday? Oftentimes, even from a Jesus follower, you get the answer that goes something like this. Well, I put my trust in God. I've asked Jesus to forgive my sins. And I'm a really good person. I, you know, I try really hard. I'm a good dad. I'm a good husband. I, you know, I'm kind to people. I'm not perfect, you know, as if we have to throw in that disclaimer, as if people were wondering, you know. I know I'm not perfect. But, you know, I try really hard. And there's something in us that gravitates toward behavior to sort of identify where do I stand with God. And it's just there's something in us as humans that's kind of human nature. And there's a lot of advantages to believing that good people go to heaven. In fact, there's some really big advantages to this. Let's walk through some of these uh, together. One of the advantages of believing that good people go to heaven is it's a fair system. That's fair, right? It just makes sense. If, if good people go to heaven, and if there's, a, if there's a heaven and it's a good place, 
it makes sense that good people should go there. It just seems like a fair system, right? And you're a good person, I'm a good person, so we're going to go there. And if there is a, an idea that heaven's good, it makes sense that who goes there is good people. And in our society, good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, and that's a fair system. And we, we like that. It just seems fair that if there's a place where we're going to go after this life and it's a good place, good people should go there. So that's one advantage to believing that. The other advantage is this. You make the cut because you're a good person, right? And that's amazing. Now, relatively speaking, we are all good people. And I, I recognize there's probably some Chicago Bears fans in here, and that's fine. Uh, you're in church this morning, so you're making up for that. But uh, here's the reality. You're a good person. I mean, in fact, compared to some people, you're amazing, right? And on some days, you're amazing. And in your quiet moments, in your own mind, of course, you would never say this out loud, but you know, you know deep down, you're better than, you know, and you know you're better than. And every once in a while, you come across somebody and you're like, whoa, they are definitely better. Like, they're amazing. But on most days, you're better than most. Now, you're not perfect, but... You're pretty good. And, and so we're going to make the cut. I've, I've never, ever heard anyone say this. I believe there is a heaven. I believe good people go there. I believe I'm not one of them. I've never heard that. Uh, most people, if they believe that good people go to heaven, then they believe that they're going to make the cut. And so one of the advantages to believing that good people go to heaven is that you're going to go there because you're a good person. That's an advantage. Here's another advantage to this. This supports the idea of a good God. It just makes sense to us. If God is good and he created a good heaven, good people should go there. That lines up for us with the idea and the concept that God is good, right? In fact, there, there, we have virtually no theology that exists in the world that points to the idea that God is bad. We have questions, a lot of big questions around like, why do bad things sometimes happen to good people? That's a big question. That's a, that's a deep theological question that we're actually going to wrestle with right after Easter. But here's the reality. There's no theology that says God is inherently bad. You know, in the beginning, a bad God created the heavens and the earth, right? It just, it doesn't exist. And so it's consistent. The idea that, the idea that if good people go to a good heaven, that's consistent with the idea of a good God. It makes sense to us that if God is good and he made a good heaven, he should fill it with good people. Here, here's another big advantage to this. It motivates people to be good. That's a, that's a big advantage to believing that good people go to heaven because it motivates me to be good. In fact, the idea that there is some afterlife and that there's a reward for good people, it's really motivating for me to want to try and be a good person. In fact, we use this all the time. We say things like this in our, to our kids in our own lives. Things like, hey, if you finish your chores, we will get ice cream. What are we doing? We're just rewarding good behavior. That makes sense to us. That system makes sense to us. Hey, if you get good grades this semester, you're going to find yourself with some extra spending money. And this idea that there is a reward for our good behavior just seems to kind of be baked in, doesn't it? And so it just makes sense to us that eternity would operate the same way. And so we've got these advantages, right? It just, it's a fair system. It makes sense to us. It's consistent with a good God. If good people go to heaven, you're going because you make the cut. And uh, also, it just motivates people to be good. So why not? I think this idea that good people go to heaven makes so much sense. I think that it's so practical that most people haven't taken the time to actually dig beneath the surface. And I think when you dig beneath the surface and truly explore this concept fully, when you really look into this, 
That, that idea of heaven and, and what it's like, if you dig into it a little bit, you find a pretty unsettling reality. If you peel back some of the layers, if you follow this thinking to its logical conclusion, then you end up with a little bit of an unsettling reality. A few things pop out. First, we have no clear standard of good. You got to kind of deal with that. If you think good people go to heaven, then what's good? You have to define it. If there's a God who is going to let us into heaven because we're good, he owes it to us to tell us what good is. And he owes it to us to tell us how good is good enough to make the cut, right? We should have a clear understanding of what is good and how good is good enough for us to get in. And there's no multi-generational, universal, clearly agreed upon standard of rules to measure our behavior against. So we have no idea how it works. We're running blind. All of you, all, the, all you know, uh, all of us know enough about human history to know that the idea of justice and equality for all people isn't something that has been a, a through line throughout human history. All of us know that that's something that's kind of evolved throughout history, that generation to generation to generation, century to century, the idea of fairness, the idea of uh, justice and equality for people is a fairly new concept in human history. When you think about it, the lens through which we view women in our present day culture, that women are equal, should be treated with equality, should be treated uh, the same. They should be given you know, equal, equal standing, that, that they're not less than. That idea, that concept is actually relatively new in human history. That's a, that's a fairly new idea, which means uh, most of us grew up at that point of view, but all you have to do is go back maybe 100 to 150 years and that was not the widely held view. That wasn't the belief system. That means only men from the last 150 years are going to heaven. Think about that. Because they saw women as less than, that men were superior. That was the way that the world thought. And so that's shifted and evolved. Uh, look at slavery. Not, not only just the, the horrible history in the United States of America, but throughout centuries uh, even in the first century, it was just widely believed that some people were born to rule and to own slaves, and other people were born to be ruled and to be owned. And they, that was just a widely held belief. Now we've come to recognize that's not good. And yet, anybody who lived in centuries past, that was just an accepted behavior. My point is this. There is no universal standard that stretches across time and stretches across different generations and different centuries by which we can measure what is good. Good is a moving target. It's a moving target culturally. Good is a moving target uh, generationally. It's a moving target nationally. Good is even a moving target personally. Because when you think about it, there are some things that you thought were good 20 years ago that you no longer think are good and vice versa. There are some things 20 years ago you said, that's bad, and now you're like, that's eh, not so bad. You've changed. That means good is a moving target personally, even in your own life. There is no consensus in this generation as to what is good, much less when you take into consideration the whole arc of human history. So, well, Jeremiah, you're a pastor. You should know this. The standard is the Bible. Follow the Bible, you'll be good. Well, I hate to burst your bubble, but I would advise you not to use the Bible as your standard. Because if you're using the Bible as your standard, you'll never be good enough. In fact, if the people who obey what the Bible teaches are the ones who go to heaven, ain't none of us going to heaven. Because <laughs> all y'all, myself included, 
have fallen short. In fact, that's what the Bible teaches about itself. The Apostle Paul would write about that specifically. And Paul was a devout Jew and a Pharisee, and he kept the law of Moses. Paul was the goodest of the good that there is. And yet, here's what Paul writes. He's writing to people in the first century. He says, no one is righteous, or you could put the word good. No one is good. No one is righteous. Not even one. He'd say, we all missed it. Paul lumps himself in with that. Then a few verses later, Paul says this. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. He says nobody's ever been able to keep the law fully. Somewhere along the way, we've fallen short of the law. Therefore, all of us have fallen short. There's not a single person. In fact, that means all the law has ever done is create a standard that we knew we couldn't reach. All it's it's ever been useful for was to show us how sinful we actually are. And then a few verses later, he says this, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Every one of us have sinned. Every one of us falls short. All of us miss the mark, Paul says. So if uh, I'm just saying this, you can believe whatever you want to about God and eternity and the Bible. I'm just telling you, if, if you're using, this is what the Bible teaches as your standard of good, you've already fallen short. And the Bible teaches that about itself. That's an unsettling reality. There's no clear standard by which we can measure what is good. So if the idea that good people go to heaven, if that's the philosophy that you're holding on to, you've got to settle that question. What is good? What's the standard? Here's another unsettling reality with this idea that good people go to heaven. We never know where we stand. How does it work, right? Well, is it a percentage? Is it 50%? Is it 70%? Is it 51%? Does it just, like, I just got to tip the scales just a little bit, right? And then I'm in, right? We have no idea. The point is, you have no idea. You don't know what the percentage is. You don't know if it's graded on a curve. You don't know if it's an average. Like, is it an average? And that means, by definition, 50% of all people aren't going to make it. You got to be in the top 51% of the population, which is an always shifting scale depending on how good each generation is. We don't know if thoughts and motives count against us. Is it just what we do or is it why we do it? Does that count? Is God counting that against us? Because uh, there are sometimes people do right things for the wrong reasons. And sometimes people do wrong things for the right reasons. And we just have to admit that it's a lot more complicated than we thought it was. And also, when does, when does it start? When does God start counting? When does he flip the switch and go, okay, you're on the clock. Is it when I'm six? Is it when I'm seven? Is it, is it 10? Is it 13? Is it when puberty hits? Is that when he's like, okay, we're counting now. Everything before that, you didn't know what you were doing. How do we know? Where does it say, right? In fact, when you think about it, that means you could actually already be out of time. It's possible you've done so many bad things that with whatever time you have left, you don't have enough time to do enough good things to actually tip the scale in your favor. You're out of luck. You could be the goodest that you've ever been from now until the day that you die, and it won't outweigh the bad that you did in the first 50 years. And that's, our, our, that's just the idea. That's only if the idea that our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds one to one. What if every bad deed is weighted differently? And it takes three good deeds to overcome our one bad deed. And now we got to do three good things for every bad thing that we did to outweigh it, to tip the scales back in our favor. The point is, we just don't know. If you believe good people go to heaven, here's what you're deciding. You're deciding the scale. 
and you don't actually have any idea, and you decide which way it tips, and you don't even know if it works, which also means this. You could be doomed and not even know it, which means you could be good for nothing. (laughs) You may have already run out of time. You can't do enough good things, and now you're just being good, being good, being good, and it's for nothing, which also means you could miss heaven by one good deed. Think about that. You're like, well, it's all this and this. I got to balance the scales. And I got to tip it all out. And it's going to tip it in my favor. And the truth is there's got to be, uh, I mean, there's 8 billion people in the world. So there's got to be a group of people that are just right on the edge, you know? And God's like, oh man, you were doing so good. And you, the, the scale was tipping in your favor. And then you lost your temper with that customer service representative. <laughs> and, and if you had not lost your temper, ah, oh, such a bummer. And one infraction bumped you out. Think about it. If good people go to heaven, if there's this cosmic scale, if that's how it works, but God never took the time to explain it to us, and God never took the time to tell us what the definition of good is and what the standard is, and never took the time to explain to us what percentage and how it works, and it's just this you know, do our motives count and all that stuff? And if it's, if it's all just this complete mystery and our, inter- our entire eternity depends on that, then God's not good. If that's how it works, then that's not really good of God at all, is it? It's a pretty unfair system. In fact, that's like a teacher at the beginning of the semester who says this. Okay, guys, uh, at the end of the year, we're going to have one test. It's going to be pass or fail, and your whole grade is going to count on that one test. All right, class dismissed. Uh, what, is, what is the test on? Yeah, I'm not going to tell you that. All right, class dismissed. Are there any notes that we can look at to see what the test has been in the past? Nope. Anybody we can talk to that's taken the test in the past that maybe we can get some wisdom from? Nope, class dismissed. See you at the end of the year. You'd say, that's a pretty unfair test, right? You have no idea what's going to be on the test. You have no idea what the percentage is. You have no idea how to study for it. And then you're going to take a test and it's going to be pass or fail. It's like running a race and you line up at the starting line and all the runners are signed up for the race and they're ready to go and they're like, okay, uh, excuse me, where's the path for the race? Oh, well, there's no path. We haven't marked that out yet. Well, which direction should we run? Yeah, we're not really sure. And they fire the starting pistol and everybody just scatters. And everybody starts running in different directions and, and you're running and you go, well, well, where's the finish line? And they go, well, we'll tell you when you crossed it. What kind of a race is that? Now, you think about those two examples and you go, that's ludicrous. That would never happen. But that's exactly what happens when we have this idea that good people go to heaven. Because we don't know how good is good enough. We don't know when we've crossed the finish line. We don't know what the percentage is. Uh, We don't know, like, all of these answers. And if good people go to heaven and God hasn't taken the time to explain it to us, he hasn't taken the time to tell us the percentage, he hasn't taken the time to to reveal to us how it changes from generation to generation, then you have to come to the conclusion that God is not good based on the way that we measure goodness and that God is certainly not fair based on the way that we measure fair. That he's left us in a pretty ambiguous territory. And our understanding of good and fair is the system that we're using to try to get our way to heaven. 
And the point is simply this. If you scratch beneath the surface of this philosophy that good people go to heaven, it breaks down pretty quickly. You realize it's actually pretty absurd. It falls apart. It doesn't hold water. And we're supposed to be good so we can go be with a good God who never defined the terms and never took the time to tell us how good is good enough. And if this whole hypothesis is true, then God actually has to show up in every single generation to redefine what good is like because it shifts from generation to generation. In fact, it shifts within generations. Uh, There's all kinds of technology and all kinds of crimes that didn't even exist when I was growing up because it's shifted. So actually, God owes it to us to show up not just in every generation, but really he's got to kind of show up once a month and redefine what good is at least once a year, redefine, this is the standard we're using for 2023. He's got to show up next year and go, now, this is the standard we're using for good for 2024. So if you want to get in, be on the right side of the ledger, this is the standard for this year. He owes it to us. Otherwise, it really isn't a good God. And this is so important because what do you tell people at funerals? This is the way that we cope, the way that we have an understanding of hope is because we believe there's something after this life. So what do you tell people at funerals? Joe was a really good man. You know, he was a good husband and a good father and a good friend. I just hope he was good enough. (laughs) Now let's pray to the God who left us hanging in the wind on whether or not we were good enough to make it into eternity. I mean, that's the prayer. That's what you pray. What do you tell children when someone dies? I came across an article this week uh, by a psychoanalyst named Erica Komazar. She's a self-proclaimed atheist, and she was asked this question. What do you tell children? What do we as parents, if we're atheists, what do we tell our kids when someone dies? Because we want to help them cope. And I, I read the full article, but some of her answers are fascinating. She says this. I am often asked by parents, how do I talk to my child about death if I don't believe in God or heaven? It's a legitimate question. My answer is always the same. Lie. She, said, she says this, the idea that you simply die and turn to dust may work for some adults, not many, but it doesn't help children. She says belief in heaven helps them grapple with this tremendous and incomprehensible loss. So her solution would be, we just lie, let them cope with it. They'll figure it out someday when they're adults, but then they'll be mature enough to handle it. That's one solution. (laughs) So we just lie and, you know, lie to cope and hope it all works out in the end. I mean, what do we do with this? And I'll be honest with you, I would just say, come back next week to find out and try not to get dead in the meantime. (laughs) Let's close in prayer. That's kind of what they're doing. And what's amazing about all of this is none of this is what Jesus taught. Jesus didn't teach any of this. This idea that good people go to heaven is such a, it's such a philosophy and an idea that's just rooted in us as human beings. We get this idea within ourselves. We get this idea in a system that says, well, it's fair and it makes sense and I'm a good person. It motivates me to be good. So on the surface, it seems really practical. But when you dive into it, you realize there's some really big problems with this philosophy. But Jesus taught something completely different. Jesus taught something radically different. See, Jesus never taught that good people go to heaven, and yet here's the sort of the confusing kind of like, man, that's kind of fascinating thing. 
Jesus never taught that good people go to heaven, and yet at the same time, Jesus did teach his disciples to be good and to do good. And Jesus taught his disciples, you should be good and you should do good to each other. And you should be good and you should do good to your enemies and to people who mistreat you. And you should be good and you should do good to people who are nothing like you and to people who will never like you. And then Jesus said, uh, you're capable of being good to other people. That means Jesus believes we are capable of understanding what it means to be good. Jesus believed we're able to recognize what is good for another person and what is not good for another person. And so he instructed his followers to be good and to do good, even to people who mistreated them. And then he said, here's how good I want you to be. I want you to be as good as my Father in heaven, but not so you get to heaven. I want you to be as good as my Father in heaven, but not so you get to heaven. There is nothing in any of the teachings of Jesus. There is nothing in any of the parables of Jesus. There's nothing in any of the stories of Jesus that infer, that indirectly or directly point to or ever teach the idea that somewhere there is a magic list of the ought to's and the ought not to's. That somewhere there is this ledger that if you can just stay on the right side of the ledger that you're going to be in. It doesn't exist. Jesus never taught that. Not only did he never infer that, not only did he never teach that, he actually taught the exact opposite. Jesus taught his followers to be good and to do good simply because that's how God had behaved toward them. Remember, Jesus said, as I have loved you, you are to love each other and you are to love others. And as a follower of Jesus, I want to be good. And I want to do good. I want to do good to others, and I want to be good to others because that's what God did for me. Jesus showed his love to me, so I want to show my love to others. Not so that I can get to heaven, but because heaven has already come to me. It's a totally radically different way of thinking, and nothing about any of that points to the idea that there's some kind of cosmic scale, and if I just tip it in my favor, I'm good to go. Be like my Father in heaven, but not so you'll go to heaven. And then the temple leaders and the Roman Empire conspired together and they killed Jesus. They arrest him and they put him to death. In fact, the reason that the Roman Empire is even involved is because the temple leaders don't have the power to, uh, they, they're, they're not granted permission by the Roman Empire for capital punishment. So they don't have the ability to issue a death penalty. They can do lots of other things, but they can't put someone to death. So they bring Jesus. They arrest him. Temple leaders arrest Jesus. They bring Jesus to uh, the Roman governor. And together, they put Jesus to death. The Roman Empire executes Jesus. And the temple leaders are looking on, giving their approval. And Jesus is killed in what is probably the most brutal way that you could die in the first century, on a Roman cross. And he's hung between two very bad men. Men who were murderers and criminals. And as he's there in his last breath, one of them looks to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, so sorry. I would love to, but you don't have enough time to do enough good to make up for all the bad you've done. Too bad, so sad, you're dead. No. 
Jesus, in his, one of his final breaths, he looks at someone who's a bad man, who deserves to be, he's, he's getting the just punishment, even acknowledges himself, I'm getting the, the punishment that I deserve for my actions. But Jesus, remember me when you're coming to your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus, a very good man, looks at a very bad man and says, see you on the other side. So our concept that good people go to heaven, it doesn't work. If Jesus, if Jesus is who he claims he is, if Jesus is who his followers claim he is, then this is actually very, very good news for us. This is very good news for us. The idea that good people go to heaven makes sense on the surface, but you don't want that system, right? You don't have to lie to your children. When you lose a loved one, you can grieve with hope. Think about that. Because when it comes to eternity, you understand eternity, you can full-on grieve and full-on hope. In fact, many of the funerals that I officiate, I'm surrounded by people who are followers of Jesus. And they recognize that because of the good news of Jesus, because it isn't like, well, I wonder where my loved one stood with God. I'm, you know, I'm kind of hoping he was good enough to get in, but I'm just not really sure. Instead, followers of Jesus, they, they, they experience the loss of a loved one and they hold grief in one hand and they hold hope in the other. In fact, it was what first century followers of Jesus would say over and over again, that you can grieve, but you can grieve with hope. Paul would at one point write, I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. I want you to understand. And so I've done some funerals for some people who aren't Jesus followers. And, and I can tell you, there's a, a lot of grief and very little hope. Because if good people are the ones who go to heaven and you have no idea how the system works and you're just kind of hoping that your loved one hopefully, you know, kind of was on the right side of the ledger, but you don't really know, there's not a lot of hope there. And yet followers of Jesus stated clearly throughout the first century, you can grieve with hope because of Jesus. There is something that comes after this. And so if Jesus was correct, this is, this is what Jesus himself taught these are the words of Jesus. John records this for us. Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God loved the world so much that he did show up. And he didn't have to show up every generation to kind of, uh, you know, update the standard of good. He didn't have to show up every month or every year and give us the new, hey, here's this year's standard of good. He showed up one time, once and for all. Jesus came into the world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And... Whoever believes, whoever believes, not whoever behaves, not whoever makes the list, not whoever does enough, not whoever finds themselves on the right side of the ledger, not uh, whoever kind of does enough good deeds to outweigh the bad deeds, not whoever hits 70% or 80%, whoever believes. That just simply means I put my trust in. Whoever believes in him, this son that God sent into the world, will not perish but have eternal life. Perish just means would not be lost to God. Would not, would not fall outside of the reach of God's hand, but would have eternal life, eternal life. That means when this life is done, you're a part of God's family forever and ever and ever. And then John said, we, we kind of thought that he'd be looking for us to, we kind of thought God would be looking for us to kind of mess up somewhere, that he'd kind of be watching that ledger, making sure that we made it. What we discovered was this, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't looking for us to slip up and go, aha, gotcha. He wasn't looking to condemn the world, but to save the world. And how was he going to do it? Through him. 
He was going to do it through him. That means this, that we think, oh man, here's the list. And somehow God's going to give me the list and then I'm in. But instead of a list, God gave us himself. Instead of a list, God actually came in person once and for all and said, no, 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 this, this is how you get to God. This is what it looks like to live in eternity. And you just put your trust in him. And so here's Jesus. He's at the Last Supper with his disciples, and he's going, these are the things I really, 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 really want you to remember. These are the things I want to stick. These are the things I want you to know that are most important for you to remember once I'm no longer with you. And guys, time's coming, and I'm no longer going to be with you. And he's telling them there is an eternity, and he's going there soon. And he's telling them these things specifically because he wants them to be encouraged. And he wants them to be, uh, remember that there is hope even when hope seems lost. Because he knows what's coming. And so here's what he says to them as he's sitting there, with, <coughs> excuse me, sitting there with them at the Last Supper together. Jesus says this. So, he says, I'm going somewhere. You can't go with me. You're going to go with me later, but, uh, you know, I'm getting things ready. And then someday you're going to be with me. So, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready... I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. This is, he's talking about eternity. He's talking about what comes after this life. And he says, and you know the way to where I am going. And I love this. Thomas goes, uh, no, we don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you want to be in right standing with God, you can't rely on being good because you'll never be good enough. And God's never given the standard for how good is good enough anyways. And even if you were good enough, that might be your standard, but it's not a universally agreed on standard. It's not a fair system. And you never know where you stand and you never know if you make the cut. So you're constantly living in fear. And there is no hope in that. Now, God would say this, I want you to be good. Jesus says, I want you to be good, and I want you to do good, and I want you to be good, and I want you to do good to each other, and to people who mistreat you, and to people who don't like you, and to people who will never be like you, and I want you to be as good as my Father in heaven, but not so you'll go to heaven. I want you to be good because heaven has come to you. And you have so much hope in the midst of circumstances that seem hopeless, that the only response that you have is to do unto others as I've done unto you. In fact, the term Christian, which even in our modern era has become hijacked and, you know, means a hundred different things to a hundred different people. The word Christian was never a word that people in the first century used who were followers of Jesus to refer to themselves. It was actually a name that was given to them as an insult. Oh, you're one of those Christians. Instead, the way that followers of Jesus referred to themselves in the first century, they actually called themselves followers of the way followers of the way because Jesus had spoken so many times about the way to God and the way to God's kingdom and now he's making it abundantly clear crystal clear you want to know the way I'm the way you want to know how to get to God through me I'm the way I'm the truth I'm the life Jesus would say there is no other way to get to God except through me how is God going to save the world through him 
through the Son that was sent into the world, God's one and only Son. He loved the world so much that he gave, and God sent him into the world so that the world would be saved through him. And anybody who not behaves, anybody who believes, anybody who puts their trust in him would not be lost to God, but would enter into this eternal life, this life that is truly life. And anybody who believes, anyone who puts their trust in Jesus as the way to God, will experience the kingdom of heaven here and now and will enter into the kingdom of heaven when their physical body dies. And it isn't based on what you have and haven't done. That is good news. It is not based on how good or how bad you have been up to this point. It is based on everything that Jesus has already done for you. You want to know how to get to God? It's through him. Jesus is the way. So I want to invite you to follow Jesus. Because it's the only system that doesn't rely on how good or bad you've been. It's the, only, it's the only way that doesn't rely on what you have or haven't done. It's the only way that says it's offered to you. All you have to do is put your trust in it. It is free to you. If you've never said yes to the invitation to be a part of God's family, it isn't based on what you've done. It's based on what Jesus has done for you. That God loved the world so much that Jesus came into the world and he saved the world through him. And now the way to God is through Jesus by saying, okay, I'm going to put my trust in you, in your way of living. And so if you've never said yes to that, I want to invite you. And I want to invite you to love as Jesus has loved you. And I want to invite you to be good and to do good. And I want to invite you, if you're already following Jesus, to be as good as your Father in heaven, but not so you'll go to heaven but because heaven has already come to you. So you want to say yes to following Jesus. Yes to this invitation. Just agree with this prayer. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times I've walked away from you. I'm so grateful you never walk away from me. And I want to say yes. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. I want to say yes to the invitation to be a part of your family. I want to put my trust in you because I recognize the way to God, the way to eternal life is through Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you that you overcame death. And now, God, help me to trust you and follow you as best as I know how from this moment on. And God, for every single one of us, may we not slide back into being good for the sake of trying to figure out where we stand with you. May we just remember we're in right standing with you because of Jesus. And may that motivate us to love others as you have loved us. We commit this week to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.